With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Love Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome, welcome to City U Podcast. Today we have a very special show. We've got some very special guests. This is your host, Jerry Steinberg. Our co-host for today is Cam Underwood. On the show today, we've got PBT, the basketball tournament. It's a new event coming out in June in Philadelphia. John Uger is the founder of PBT, and he's going to tell us a little bit about the tournament. And we also have a couple of former Kane legends, and Julian Gamble and Darius Adams, that are also going to be participating in PBT, and they're going to tell us a little bit about the tournament as well and what's going on with them these days. So, hey, guys, welcome to the show. Hey, what's going on, Jay? Thanks, Jerry. I want to start, John, with you. We're going to jump right into this. John, tell us a little bit about TBT, how it got started, and, and what's it all about. Sure. Well, it stands for the Basketball Tournament, and it's a five-on-five single elimination tournament um, where the winning team uh, walks away with $500,000. And it's completely open. So we, we announced the tournament March one and we allowed teams to apply for one of the 32 spots over the course of two months. And we had about 150 teams, I think, enter, and I think um, we wound up selecting 32 a couple weeks ago. And so we're going to play games in Philly in June 6th through 8th. We're going to whittle down from 32 teams to two, and then we'll have our winner-take-all half-million-dollar game June 28th. Uh John, for some of the folks that aren't that familiar with PGT, is there a specific venue in Philly where this is going to be taking place? June 6th, 7th, and 8th will be at Philadelphia University. And the first day we're going to be going through, I think, 16 games in that first day. We're going to do all of round one in that first day. All right, and and is this a you know open to the public event? Is it is there going to be any broadcast or anything along it's, those lines? There'll be, it's going to be open to the public, and tickets are actually going to go on sale on Thursday. Uh, we are, it will not be broadcast. Uh, the final game will probably be streamed, but details to be uh, to be determined. All right, we'll definitely look out for that. And is there any website or phone number or anything where folks who might be interested in, in watching it live can go? Sure, it's uh, thetournament.com got a rundown of all, all the teams that have made it in and all the teams that have applied. All right, that should be easy enough to remember, the tournament.com. Anybody interested in checking it out, that's where you need to go to get your information. Uh, I've I've been on the site a couple of times, and I've looked at all the descriptions of the teams, and it's, it's a pretty interesting field. Um, um, before we get into the field, I want to talk about Rep Your City, because Rep Your City is a team that... Uh, three former teams, Julian Gamble, Kenny Kaji, and Gary Adams are all going to be participating on that team. Uh, Julian, let me start with you. How did you hear about the tournament, and um, and, and what, what piqued your interest about it? 
Um, well, I actually heard about the tournament through uh, a bunch of different outlets. I mean, guys were uh, messaging me on Facebook, asking me if I was interested in participating. And what really piqued my interest was just the opportunity to be able to team up with, with Gary and Kenny and a lot of those other guys on the team with big-time talent and just really be able to go out there and have an opportunity to have fun. I mean, basketball is still fun to us, and, and what better motivation than be able to go out there and, and potentially win a half a million dollars. Uh, yeah, it sounds like a lot of fun, and the $500,000 winner-take-all isn't too bad either. Um, uh, Gary, I want to ask you next about uh, the team you guys are, are going to be playing on, Rep Your State. you got some interesting players. you got a former Kansas State player in Jordan Henriquez, and then you have a YouTube legend in Akil Carr, um, who will also be participating for you guys. For those who don't know about Akil Carr, go to YouTube and check out his videos. He's five foot six. He's part Nate Robinson, part Spud Webb, uh, part Kip to my Lou in the old days of, uh, you know, uh, some of the great shows that were on ESPN, Streetball Legends. Uh, Gary, talk about the team. How, how do you like the makeup of the team, and what do you think your guys' chances are to come home with the 500000 Um, I think our chances are, are very well. We, we actually were talking about it with some of the guys that's on the team not too long ago about our chances and how we think we have a good chance, you know, to compete and, and like Julian said, win a half a million dollars. All right. Uh, John, getting back to you for a second. Uh, Obviously, you know, the folks that will be listening on State of U podcast are going to have, you know, their favorite team is probably going to be Rep Your City after watching guys like Darius and Kenny and Julian uh, play at Thank You Night Center and win the ATC crown for us. Um, talk about. Can you talk a little bit about some of the other teams that that you think the the general public might be interested in, and the guys that might give uh, Julian, uh, uh, Gary, and Kenny the most competition? Yeah, I mean I, that team is pretty loaded, to be honest with you. I have to remain impartial, obviously, but I can at least say that much. Um, Refuge City's right up there, but we have we have quite a few teams where there are a bunch of guys from college who are banding together to play again, and. Those are some of the more intriguing teams in my mind, like the Villanova Final Four team from 2009 is getting together together to play, and the Cornell team from 2010. Um, Princeton teams from the last few years, they had a team that went to the NCAA tournament and a couple guys off the squad this year who are going to be playing, uh, and Air Force as well. And I think those teams are, are very interesting to me because they might come in and actually play a system together, um, which is actually one of the things I wanted to – Asked Julian and Gary about whether they have any plans to implement any of that, any or get together ahead of time and start preparing and play a certain way, or are you just going to kind of show up and go? I mean, I think it's when it comes to that. I mean, all of us being uh, a level of professional athletes, I mean, you're going to have to just come in there and know that the dynamics of a team are very important, and it's not going to be about anybody's individual talent, but banding together to play as a team. I don't think we'll have a great time to prepare, obviously, since everybody's coming from a different area. But I think once we get together with the, the level of basketball IQ that I know that we have on our team, people are going to make the, the necessary sacrifices to be able to go out there and get wins. And most importantly, it's going to come down to how we're going to defend these other teams because everybody's so loaded with talent, and and especially playing for $500,000. I mean, people are going to be willing to lay it all on the line, so we just have to be prepared for a fight. 
Yeah, so uh, Jerry, that's that's really that's one class of team. I think the 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 prominent ex college team, and then there there are a bunch of teams with guys with uh, ex you know NBA experience. Um, there there are quite a few New York teams that that play together all summer long, and they've been doing that for several years in a row. Um, so right, it's kind of all over the place. UIGPAL that uh, uh, takes the game to another level. I know the Stern roster includes guys like Hakeem Warwick. Um, Marshall Henderson, the you know real exciting player that just finished at Ole Miss. Uh, Reggie Williams. I mean, it, it, this should be a very very high level tournament um, with the type of players you guys are are adding. And I mean, you mentioned the Villanova team. You got guys like Scotty Reynolds, Dante Cunningham, Corey Fisher. Uh, there there's some outstanding teams in this field, so it should be pretty intriguing. Um, I'm just going to hand the mic over to uh, my co-host, Cam, for a second. Cam, I'm going to let you ask a few questions now. Uh, well, yeah, you know, I was actually interested in uh, the system, so, or like what kind of things, uh, types of games that uh, teams were going to run out there. So I don't want to ask you, what's the structure of the tournament? Are you going to have two halves or have four quarters? Uh, is it going to be built to maybe favor one side of play versus another? Yeah, we it's it's pretty much the NCAA rule. So it's a there are two halves, 18 minute halves, and uh, it's a 45 second shot clock. And aside from that, it is pretty much mirroring uh, college rules. Okay, well, college rules, uh, you know, and those are things that a lot of people are familiar with, so uh, it makes it a little bit easier. Um, yeah. Now, uh, for the, I mean, just kind of some of the structural things for disqualification uh, on fouls, are you doing five or six? Six. Okay, so a little bit of college rules with uh, you know the the professional uh, foul level there, uh, and I guess you know that that can work because you know if you have the guys who are kind of just playing a little bit more pickup style, uh, you haven't been together for a while, that extra foul can come in handy. Right. And we will not we will not have TV timeouts either until we have a TV carrier. So that's another another thing. Oh, okay. Well, hey, John, John, I wanted to ask a follow up. Uh, I'm sorry, Cam. I didn't mean to cut you off. I just want to ask a follow up to, to Cam's first question. Um, how, how about the officiating? Uh, uh, what kind of officials are you guys going to have for this game? We're going to bring in guys uh, with NCAA Division One officiating experience. Um, Pretty much exclusively. So we're gonna we're going very top of the line with our officials. That sounds good. Yeah. Okay. Uh, um, go ahead, Cam. No, I was just gonna say. Um, so uh, you picked the 32 teams. Uh, well, how did you go through that? Because I went to your website and I saw that there were you know probably about 50 or 60 teams that had registered and only 32 were selected. So I was wondering what process you went through for that. Yeah, we, Cam, what we did was, um, so we, we said from the get-go that the top 24 most popular teams would get in regardless. So the 24 teams that recruited the most fans from March 1 to May 1, they got in automatically. And so that's why you see so many different teams from uh, different talent levels and backgrounds, and there, there are a few teams who may not even have college basketball experience at all. Um, so that was the first 24 teams that uh, that comprised the field, and after that we picked eight at-large teams, basically. Okay. Record, Record um, City was one of the top 24, so we didn't have to make a call on them. But um, yeah, it's a very diverse field. 
Okay, and, and that's, you know, obviously, you know, having a diverse field uh, works well for you guys and hopefully for the tournament. What um, what, what was the seeding process? Because, I mean, to have a 32-team tournament, you have to have some kind of seeding that goes with it, right? Yeah, we're going to actually mm-hmm. release the schedule and the seeds on Thursday. And um, we're going to – one of the, the the people running our basketball operations out of New Jersey, the hoop group, uh, Rob Kennedy is the principal there. We're going to huddle together with him and a few people and um, and basically talk through all the teams as we have already during selection and assess each one a seed, basically, based on the talent level and their uh, probably their experience in playing on a team in the past. Because, you know, as, as we know, talent only takes you so far, and then the, you get the other side of it, which is, is a team coming in with a system? Have they been preparing? Do they have the ability to uh, to get together and and, uh, and work out together beforehand? So it's a bit of a challenge to come up with a seating, but we're going to do that this week. Okay, cool. I'll uh, bring this back to Julian uh, uh, for a second. Uh, before we get back, we're talking about CBT. Julian, can you just give a little, give a little update of what you've done uh, post-UM career uh, for some of the folks that aren't haven't been following? Well, I just recently uh, returned back to the States from France. I was playing in Pro B over there, and um, I was blessed enough to, to go over there and play very well. I finished top five in scoring and rebounding, and I led the league in blocks. And just being back, kind of taking a taking a breath and relaxing a little bit before I really get back on my grind to get ready for next year and what opportunities may come next, whether it be the NBA Summer League this summer or just getting ready to head back over to Europe in August. Very cool. Uh, Gary, if I wanted to ask you the same thing, uh, you just finished at UM this past year. Um, are you looking forward to uh, going professional, or, or what are your immediate plans? Yeah, uh, as of lately, I, you know, I've signed with an agent and, and I've talked to him and I'm kind of taking the same route as Julian, hoping to get on a, a summer league team or, or get some workouts under my belt and um, to see what happens from there. If if that doesn't work out, uh, I'll also be looking into going overseas to play as well. Uh, very cool. And now, uh, but Gary, I want to come back to you for a second. Um, and again, we're going to come back to CBT, but I just want to uh, get our QM basketball fans filled in. Uh, you just finished with the team, and you were able to see some of the transfers like Angel Rodriguez and Sheldon McClellan and DeAndre Burnett and guys like that are going to be eligible next year. What's your expectation for next year's UM team? Um, I mean, I... I have high expectations, obviously, because Coach Hill is one of the greatest coaches uh, in college basketball. He'll, he'll have that team ready to play, you know, regardless of who, who who can play or not. But in terms of Angel and Sheldon and DeAndre, they're three of the most hardworking guys I've seen. You know, they, they're always in the gym and always, you know, working on their game, and I feel they'll speak next season. No. Right, and uh, I know that you and I are talking about uh, keeping regular touch with Kanye Shakiri. What do you think the expectations for Kanye to do for next year? Um, I think he's going to make a jump. I mean, obviously his expectations are going to be very high, and especially with the way the front court is right now, kind of bare. 
they're really going to need him to step up and produce. But I know the way he works, and I know he's a really good kid. And with the guidance of Coach L, I think he'll make a, a big jump into next year. And I'm actually will be in Miami for a majority of the summer. So I'll spend a lot of time with him, kind of teaching him the ins and outs of everything that I know and I learned just to try to help him be as successful as he possibly can be. Hey, Julie. Um, so, yeah, we covered a little bit on TBC. We've covered some of uh, what you guys are up to these days. Uh, now, Julian, you've done some guest writing for Food of the U. I hate to put you on the spot, but can we expect more more of uh, your outstanding writing as well? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'll definitely be around. I mean, I'm a, I feel like I'm a, a guy that's somewhat intellectual when it comes to that stuff. So, I mean, I'm thinking about a lot of things, and whenever the opportunity presents itself, I would definitely love to step back into that box and, and kind of expand myself as more than just an athlete. Very cool. And, yeah, you wrote a really good article for folks that haven't seen it yet. You can find it in the archives of Steven Q. It's about, um, you know, the fan base at UM and how we really need to find um, a consistent following that can pack the buck game in and game out and how that really helped last year's 316 team that won the ACC regular season home tournament title. Turn back to TVT for a second, John. Is there anything you want to add that we haven't heard uh, talking about the tournament? No, I don't think so. I think that um, you know, if, if anyone's in the Philly area, tickets will go on sale through our website, thetournament.com, this Thursday. So it's going to be some pretty exciting basketball with a lot of intriguing players like Julian and Darius, and it'll be a good few days of entertainment there. All right, just getting back to you on camera for a second. Is there anything else you want to ask you guys? Yeah, is there somebody who's, like, at a daycare or in a gym or something? There's a lot of background noise. Yeah, that's actually me. I'm I'm actually in here watching a, a rec league game right now. I can't stay too far away from basketball. Oh, okay. What age range uh, are you watching there? All right, guys, yeah, we don't want to take too much of Julius and Garius and John's time. We really appreciate you guys coming on, and, and, and we'll keep the fans informed about TBC. Uh, and, um, and John, your your staff has done, done a good job of sending me everything I need to keep our fan base informed. Uh, if we don't hear from you guys, uh, uh, Julian and Garius, we wish you guys good luck. You know all the U.N. fans are behind you guys. So, Thanks a lot, thank man. Thanks, Jerry. Thanks, Kim. Thanks for coming on. All right. No problem. No problem. All right, guys. So, TBT again. It's the tournament.com. You can find all the information on it. Uh, for anybody that's going to be in the Philly area in June, it's definitely worth checking out. Uh, basketball staff informed on how these guys do. I, I think they have a good chance. Uh, I was checking out some of Akil Carr highlights, and uh, they were pretty sick. Um, so it could be a pretty good opportunity for these guys to get that uh, half mill and, and to continue uh, enhancing their game and, and keeping themselves uh, sharp for their playing careers. All right, so, guys, we're, we're going to move forward with the show. There's a lot of things that Cam and I wanted to cover, and I know we have uh, Josh Kay Calvin on the on the phone, too. He's one of our uh, resident State of the U basketball experts and covers a little bit of everything for us uh, when he can. Um, What's up, guys? Hey, Josh, Yo. good to have you on. Um, 
I, I think a nice transition from basketball, which we love to talk, would be uh, to definitely talk about the baseball team and, and what they accomplished yesterday and what they've accomplished over the last couple of months. Uh, uh, Cam, I want to start with you. Um, I know you follow the baseball team avidly. I know we talk, uh, you know, off the podcast a lot about uh, what's what's allowed them to be so successful. Uh, was yesterday the culmination of, of everything that they've been working for, or is there still a lot more to be achieved? Um, I think it's kind of both. It was the, the culmination, obviously, of the regular season for the ACC. Um, and by virtue of winning the game yesterday, we are the outright uh, regular season champion. Uh, the ACC for baseball does not actually give regular season championship awards, um, is what I learned through the magic of Twitter yesterday. Um, however, we uh, are we have the best record in conference and won our division, so we're the number one overall seed going into this week's ACC tournament in Greensboro for baseball. Um, so, yeah, you know, uh, really a great season. Um, and we finished ahead of number four, Florida State, and number one overall in the nation, Virginia, in conference. Um, and that is something to be, you know, obviously highly prized. Had 24 conference wins, and uh, that is uh, ties the record um, for Miami. And I think in the conference, since expansion. Also, uh, if you put that together with looking forward into, um, you know, the trip towards Omaha and the actual uh, NCAA baseball field, which we're virtually assured to make, since the expansion of the ACC, every single team who's won 23 games in the conference has been one of the top eight national seeds, and that would give them hosting rights for both the regionals, which is a four-team sub-tournament, and then the Super Regionals, were they to win that, a two-team head-to-head tournament going into uh, Omaha. This year, the Miami Hurricane baseball team won 24 conference games, um, and so that probably puts us in a very strong spot uh, to be one of the national seeds going into uh, the postseason. Um, and also, the ACC has obviously three strong teams with Virginia and Florida State being also ranked in the top five in the country along with Miami. Um, and some people were saying that we might not get a national seed because of that. However, based upon some of the research by Kendall Rogers from Perfect Game USA, one of the leading collegiate baseball sites, um, the ACC has had three of the top eight national seeds in two of the last three years. And in, I'm sorry, and also five or six years, I want to say, um, there has been three national seeds from any conference, a couple times the SEC and then ACC. So, uh, overall, yeah, it's just been, uh, you know, a great end to the season. Uh, once they started picking it up uh, about the quarter way through when we were 13 and 12, uh, turned it on since then uh, and have had a huge winning streak. Uh, so really a great foundation uh, into the regular season. But, yeah, unless we get to Omaha and win in Omaha, um, you know, there's still work to be done. So a little bit of both. And, Josh, um, I know you're more of a basketball guy than a baseball guy. Um, so what's your thought on the baseball? I'm, 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 I'm a big MLB baseball guy. I, I know you are, I, but but just uh, getting back to Kane's baseball for a second. Um, how far do you think they need to go, or how how well do they need to perform? Have they done enough to kind of catch the interest of of the fans that are outside of the hardcore baseball fan base? Um, you know, I just think. I, I mean, I, I don't have much experience with college baseball. 
I'm actually I'm ashamed to admit that I've never been to a UM baseball game, even though I I went to school there and I love what? baseball. I just I just, I never got into the the clink of the metal bat. It just for some reason it was like fingers on a chalkboard for me. Now I've oh, seen I've seen man. a couple. I've seen all, all I'm going to say seen, is you miss out because the Friday night of the Florida State series. Oh, I'm, oh I'm, I'm boy. Sure. I'm sure I'm missing out. I'm sure I missed out a lot of years. They've had a lot of great players come through there, a lot of great teams. And, you know, part of me kind of kind of feels bad that I missed out, and I've, I've planned to, like, go to a game, but it just never seems to work out. And I'm, I'm, I'm vowing on air to go at some point. Um, I, I really have no, no gauge on the pulse of the UM fan for baseball. I mean, I, I, I would imagine that their, their season this year, I know it's been a great season, uh, I would imagine that it's probably won them some more fans, and I, I don't know, Cam. Do you, do you know what the attendance figures have been this year compared to the seasons past? I would imagine you know we can maybe deduce a little bit from that. Um, they've gone up slightly, um, not having um, a lot of the national or local draw. You know, not having Florida State at home, um, having U.S. at home, but very very early in the year. So I think that was still in March. Uh, that kind of hurt the attendance numbers. Uh, and then, obviously, the midweek games, that is also something that will uh, hurt the attendance numbers overall. But uh, I've been to, I think I went to five or six games uh, this year, and, you know, there was, they were fairly well attended. Um, and, you know, it's really a lot of the uh, the local baseball players, you know, the, the kids in Optimist or Travel Ball or High School Ball, that's a lot of where the fan base is. Um, and then you do have some diehards, uh, you know, who live, not too far away from campus, and they'll, they'll go there. So, you know, the following has been pretty strong, and I believe that it has increased from years past because, I mean, obviously no one wants to go and see a team that's 500 uh, play ball. And more over than that, it was just sloppy baseball for the last few years. We had way too many errors, averaging almost two or three errors a game in uh, previous years. So nobody wants to see that. You know, it looks like the bad news bears, but, as the defense has improved, as the quality of the team has improved, and obviously during this winning streak that's been going on for the better part of a month and a half, uh, yeah, the, the tennis numbers have been pretty fair. I, I guess I guess what I'm asking is, and this is in no no way insulting college baseball, what's the ceiling for fan participation, even at the top schools, like traditionally top schools? Is it? What? I mean, is it? I, I can't imagine it's close to what college basketball is or college football. So I, I'm wondering. Like, what's considered good as an attendance well, for college college baseball? And that's the only way I'll be able to kind of answer Jerry's kind of question, if they've done enough. If You know, if, if, if more fans are going, I would say, yeah, you've done enough. You know, you've gotten more interest. Right. Um, you know, when you have some of the really historical places and there's nothing else to do, and I know that we bring that up all the time in South Florida, but that's very true in a place of factor. If you have somewhere like a – uh, LSU with Alcott Stadium. You know, they're going to draw 7,500 people every night. And that's, right. you know, pretty big. You know, maybe if uh, they have outfield uh, bleachers in a couple of spots, I know that Nebraska, I know that Texas, I know that a couple of uh, places in the heartland, they have 9,000 people stadiums, you know, almost uh, or double digit thousands with like a minor league baseball park. That's really going to be about your ceiling. Here in South Florida, honestly, if we get hmm, 5,000, that's pretty good in my estimation. Wow, that's like competitive with the Marlins at some point in their history. I mean, uh, think about it. <laughs> you know, I've been to Marlins games sitting in the in the outfield area where I could hear, you know, when they played at, I could hear the umpire called balls and strikes. Remember that, Jay? Uh, yeah, I, I remember specifically a game you and I went to 
uh, against the Padres, uh, and we were basically holding a running conversation with Tony Gwynn because the the, the crowd and was Gary so Sheffield. yeah 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 and Gary Sheffield yeah. as well because the crowd was so uh, quiet and it was you know and there was but, literally but maybe but you three other people. You could, you could hear the umpire say strike one like from all the way across the ballpark. It was crazy. I, wow. I, I just want to reel this in because I could see I've opened up a can of worms on the attendance issue, and I think we spent a good amount of time talking football attendance uh, a couple of podcasts ago, and I, I don't want to spend the entire time. Yeah, I, I just yeah, wanted I to get Josh's perspective because Josh is not a hardcore team's baseball fan. And, and Josh, what I was looking for more or less was what what would pique your interest or, you know, uh, my, my interest is uh, my interest definitely is definitely peaked. I mean, you know, it's just it's always kind of been peaked. I just you know when baseball season starts and it's MLB, I kind of get absorbed into it. It's like the, I'm like the anti with college basketball. I don't even pay attention to the NBA, so I'm, I'm reversed there. Yeah. Um. But just to just to rewind for a second, I, I want to get back to Cam for a second. Cam, let's talk about the baseball team and what they've done well. Um, obviously, this is not an explosive, you know, pound teams into submission, you know, scoring 15 runs a game type team. They're more of a, a clutch hitting, uh, play really good. Uh, well, I mean, when they're on, they play really good defense. Um, when they the, the games they've lost, they've been inconsistent in that area. Uh, they get really good starting pitching. Um is this the right formula to get to Omaha and possibly bring home the national championship? Just continue to do what we've done well. Uh, and all those things that you said, you know, um, defense, obviously, uh, continue to play well there. Our pitching has really been our calling card. Um, and there has been, you know, times where the strike zone has eluded even our best starting pitchers, you know, Suarez and Radzewski, um and even, you know, Javier Salas on the midweek starts. But uh, like you were saying, they're clutch. They make – big pitches, they make big plays when we need them, both on offense and on defense. Uh, so just really continuing to do that. Um, you know, and we have depth in our lineup from one to nine. Um, Jacob Hayward, who is Jason Hayward of the Atlanta Braves' younger brother, he did not play for the first, I don't know, 45 games, or 40 games, give or take, and now – um, he was in the starting lineup in the last series or the last two series. He uh, was a defensive replacement in a couple of games. He was not even doing that earlier. So that adds him uh, to the rotation with uh, Tony Sabio uh, coming off the bench. Um, and obviously Dale Carey, um, Willie Abreu, and Tyler Palmer, this year's MVP, uh, the outlaws of the outfield, they're doing really well. Um, cannot be overstated that all of this run up until this last weekend was accomplished without David Thompson, who had that um, blood clot rib impingement thing um, that he had surgery for, uh, and he just came back this weekend, um, and he was playing first base. So, um, you know, you had Brad Seager in there for a long time, uh, and he had some clutch hits throughout the year. His average dipped uh, throughout the season, but, you know, he's a, a quality player. Then you have Thompson coming in, and, you know, Davey Baseball, he's uh, one of the best players on the team. You have the freshman and um, Zach Collins, who couldn't find his way to hit out of a paper bag to begin the year, and he wins the uh, Rookie of the Year award, and he's, you know, driven up his average 300 points over the course of this season. William Brady, like I said, he's been hitting third or fourth all year long, uh, linchpin in the middle of the, of the uh, offense. You know, all those 
guys, as long as they just stay consistent, um, and it might not be everybody every night, but if we can get, you know, Abreu and Palmer and Carey one night and Palmer and Thompson and Collins another night uh, to hit the ball uh, in the key spots, as long as we do that, I think we're going to continue to be successful. Uh, Cam, let me just ask a follow-up question because you brought up an interesting point about uh, David Thompson. And I was, I was fortunate enough to catch uh, some of uh, yesterday's 2 nothing win that clinched the uh, ACC title. And he had a really key play in the game. They were winning one to nothing, and I forgot who was at the plate, but um, he was on third base, and the guy hit one the short center, and Thompson came barreling down the third base line, and they had him dead to rights. And uh, he just executed a perfect slide to knock the ball out of the catcher's hands. Uh, you know, for for a guy like myself who follows Kane's baseball but might not be that familiar with, with, with Thompson's game, being as he's been hurt for so long, is his game a mix of athleticism, power? I mean, is he like a five-tool guy? Is that, you know, is he bringing more athleticism to that lineup? Um, I wouldn't call him a five-tool guy just because I I would think that he has – I would put a speed at average. So, uh, you know, baseball goes on a 20-80 scale. I would put him – maybe around a 40, 45. Uh, so he's not a blazer uh, or anything like that. But, uh, you know, he does have a strong arm. For those who might not know, he used to be a high school quarterback, and he was on the football team before he decided to focus his entire uh, athletic career on baseball, which I agree with because I believe he's a much higher ceiling baseball player than football. So, I mean, he has the arm so he can throw. He plays good defense uh, and has good feet from all his drop back and football work. So, um, you know, he can do that. Uh, he hits for average when he, you know, I mean, he needs to cut down on the strikeouts, but if you play baseball, you don't need to cut down on any strikeouts. You're a rare commodity. Uh, and he definitely hits for power. Um, has the Florida high school record for career home runs and also uh, individual season home runs. Uh, he m- made that record his junior year and then broke his own record his senior year at Westminster Christian. So I would call him a four-tool player, um, but he has good athleticism. Um, but he's not a, a, a Willie Abreu who's six four, two hundred and twenty pounds, uh, and you know has plus skills in all of those areas. Uh, but yeah, very, very skilled, uh, very knowledgeable, very savvy guy. Uh, just like you're talking about with that slide, uh, and that was really the only way he could have slid to uh, get to the plate and also knock the ball out of the catcher's glove. Uh, so yeah, you know, a, a solid, solid player. Um, and he just does a lot of things the right way, and it helps, uh, you know, just bring our team together. All right, great stuff, Cam. Um, and for those who are not aware, uh, you can go to State of the U and get the full details of, of the ACC tournament, which is going to start um, for Miami. They'll be playing on Wednesday, Thursday, and Saturday. And I believe uh, these games are going to be on some of the ESPN affiliates. They might be on ESPNU. Um, some of them are going to be on ESPN2. Some of them will be on ESPN3.com. Um, so definitely check it out. Um, Miami's having, in the midst of a great season, they've really turned it on. Um, so Wednesday, I believe their first game is going to be at 3 p.m. on Wednesday, and they'll play uh, the winner of the, the playing game in their bracket, which I, off the top of my head I can't remember the two teams that they're participating. But um should be good stuff and and should be fun to watch as team progresses. Um uh, but I'm gonna I'm gonna push forward here. We're gonna talk about some other stuff um, before we get into the professional ranks um, and before we talk about stuff around the world of uh, the Kane sports. I want to talk about a recent commit, um, and this this is gonna be specifically directed to you, Cam. Um, Miami picked up a quarterback commit uh, last week. Um, a gentleman who is six foot five, two hundred thirty pounds, 
uh, Dwayne Lawson. Uh, for folks that have not watched him on YouTube or are not familiar with his game, can you give us a little scouting report on Dwayne? And, and, and also I wanted to ask about uh, where chances are that he'll play another position other than quarterback. Okay. Um, Dwayne Lawson, like you say, is the uh, the most recent commit. He's from outside of Tampa. Um, he is tall. You know, he's he's six foot five. He says he's up to two hundred and thirty pounds. If you go on the uh, post that I wrote on State of the U for this commitment, um, that was from his junior year, and I think he played at about two hundred and ten pounds, maybe two twelve. So uh, he's he's tall and thin, a little bit more uh, built like a basketball small forward currently. Um, but um, good athleticism, a nice alive arm, uh, which, you know, is very good. He threw for uh, 2,400 yards, give or take, I want to say, uh, and 22 touchdowns with nine interceptions, and he ran for almost 1,100 yards with another nine touchdowns. So a dual-threat guy, he can move, uh, you know, doing all of those things on the field. He's super raw, and that's where the the conversation came uh, with Scott uh, Elliott, uh, SB Nation recruiting, uh, he's saying, you know, maybe potentially down the road there could be a switch to another position. You know, he does have the athleticism to maybe be uh, an effective tight end if he put on the weight. Uh, but, again, you know, I take reports of players, especially high school players, gaining 20 pounds in a couple months. I take that very skeptically. I need to see this um, – and I need to see it in season because there's a, a, a very big difference between off-season weight and in-season weight, especially for football players, especially for someone who plays a, a skill position where you run as much as Lawson does from the quarterback position, at least the way that he plays it. Um, fairly decent at reading coverages, not the greatest, but uh, he will go, uh, if you look on his YouTube highlights, he will go between at least you know his first two options uh, on a play. He's not going to sit back there, you know, like Tom Brady and look through all five options and then circle back through them again. Um, but, you know, he's not um, – well, and I'm just going to throw a name out there, and I know this is going to be inflammatory, but whatever. Uh, it's Torrance Gibson, he's a one-read-and-go player. Um, so he'll look at the one guy. If he's open, cool. If he's not, he might look to the check down, but he's going to run really because he's an amazing athlete. Lawson will stick in the, quarter, uh, in the, in the pocket just a little bit more than that. Um, but he is very, very raw, um, and he's, he's at least a two- or three-year project player. He is not like a Brad Kaya or Malik Rozier, who people presume could come in right now and start. That's not Dwayne Dawson. Um, and that um, developmental time would also potentially lead to him maybe playing another position in the future. But overall, uh, you know, 6'5", 210-plus pounds, live arm, uh, very athletic, four-star recruit. Um, and it was kind of out of nowhere because he had just named his leaders uh, last week, and Miami was not among that leadership group uh, for his recruitment. And then all of a sudden this week, boom, hey, I'm going to be a hurricane. So uh might take a little work to keep him committed, but, you know, overall a very good get and uh, a player with some skills that hopefully can be developed into a productive player in the future. Yeah, I believe I read, too, that he's in the 4-7 range, so he's not like a – uh, a blazing athlete, but he's an above-average athlete. All right, good stuff, Cam. We we look forward to uh, hearing more about him, and hopefully his recruit sticks uh, all the way through to signing day. It's a long way to go. Yeah, all right, guys. You know, that, that's let me wait, wait, let me let me uh, circle back with one thing I forgot to say. A lot of people are comparing him to Cam Newton, um, and I would be cautious with that because 
there's a level of physicality with Cam Newton at 6'6", 250, 260 pounds, uh, running over people. And his version of the spread was a power run game. They ran a lot of traps. They run, ran a lot of inside runs. Uh, that's not Dwayne Lawson. So I know that a lot of people are, are, you know, putting that out there. I would be very, very cautious on that comparison personally. Uh, yeah, uh, exactly. I mean, uh, you know, a guy with similar attributes that comes in being compared to Johnny Manziel wouldn't be fair, and a, and a guy uh, coming in with similar attributes to Jameis Winston wouldn't be fair, and, and you don't want to put that a comparison of Heisman Trophy winners on high school kids. I, I think it's a long way to go. Uh, okay, yeah, also, you, you, also have to consider, uh, you also have to consider the amount of seafood coming in with this next recruit. Is he going to bring crabs? Is it going to be shrimp, cod, Atlantic bluefish? I mean, there's there's plenty of considerations. <laughs> Sorry, All I right. be done. Hey, Josh taking a, taking a little verbal stab at uh, Jameis Winston. I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> All right, guys, let, let, let's swing this to the, the NCR portion of the show, non-Kane related. And, and I'll start with you, Josh, since I couldn't get anything out of you on Kane's baseball. Uh, I'm going to ask sure. you about MLB baseball. I'm going to ask you about two specific teams. I, I want you to give me a little 40-game uh, in scouting report on first uh, the Marlins uh, for our Miami fans that, that root for, for the Marlins, and then everybody's favorite team, the New York Yankees. Uh, tell me what you're seeing. <laughs> No, no problem. Uh, you know, for the Marlins, uh, I looked at their rotation at the beginning of the year with Fernandez anchoring it, and I like Divaldi, good live arm, and even the Alvarez guy. So if you have three quality pitchers that can give you quality starts almost every time out, uh, in this in this day of baseball where offense is a little more of a, a little more limited ever since uh, the juice has been turned off. Uh, you've got a chance, and the Marlins have some young talent. Christian Yelich, I think, is basically Jacoby Ellsbury waiting to happen. And Stanton's been hitting home runs left and right. But as soon as Fernandez went down, their season ended, in all honesty. They're, they're, they've lost, like, a whole bunch of games since Fernandez had his last rough, rough outing, which led to Tommy John. So I would say for Marlins fans, just be happy that you have uh, some good young players to watch and, and you know, maybe a year or two from when Fernandez gets back, you'll have a chance. You need an ace. You need an absolute ace to compete in the NFL these and the uh, MLB these days. Uh, switching to yeah, Yankees, you, you can have an ace in you can have an ace in the NFL too, but uh, I, I think <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's more important in baseball. Um, switching to uh, I mean that's basically I, I, Cam. Do you follow the Marlins? Do you have anything to say about them before I switch to the Yankees? I mean, you know, honestly, I, I disagree with you. It, I'm, I'm personally hurt because I'm a Tigers fan. You know, I'm, I'm a Detroit native, uh, and that's the team I really follow. But um, I was talking with a good friend of mine, Dieter Kurtenbach, of the uh, Sun Sentinel. Uh, he and I are friends. And he was like, yo, over the summer, bro, we're going to go down to Marlins games. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the next Jose Homestar, bro, like, let's go. Um, and we put together all these plans that we're going to go down to the stadium for the next Jose. Uh, and I call it a carnival day because, I mean, everybody comes out, you know, he's Everybody knows the story very well. You know, he's a uh, Cuban immigrant, and, you know, his grandmother came over before, I think it was three starts ago, and, you know, she has the, the jersey that says Abuela, and his uh, his mom has the one that says Mama. So, you know, they're there, and it's just like the whole Latin vibe, and, like, the place comes alive, and it's so electric, and he's amazing, and he's only 20 years old, uh, and I was really yeah. looking forward to that. 
Um, and so I was deflated on behalf of Marlins fans when I, uh, you know, heard earlier this week that he was going to have Tommy John surgery. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it, honestly, you have some players who could project to be uh, solid pros down the line. They're going to have a rough season this year. Um, and, yeah, without Jose, their season's pretty much over. So just enjoy the ride and uh, hope for some good, solid development. Yeah, watch for Yelich, though, anybody out there. That guy, that kid can really play. He's, he's blazing fast on the first baseline. He hits the ball hard. He'll develop power. That guy is going to be a five-tool player for about 15 years. That's my prediction on him. That guy's really good. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you have him in Staten, so, I mean, there's something. But, I mean, you can only go so far as your pitching goes. And when you lose right. the Cy Young winner or third place, I should say, and the reigning rookie of the year who was, uh, the Cy Young front runner with leading the majors in strikeouts and everything that he was doing, and his, all his advanced metrics were just insane. I mean, video game type numbers. And yeah, he was I, I agree. It hurts. Yeah, he 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 was just. He I, I would actually watch their games. I mean, I'm not a Marlins fan. I'm a, I'm a diehard Yankee fan. But when Fernandez pitched, I, I'd have that. I'd have it on. I'd watch him. I, I mean, I just fall in love with the way the guy pitches. I, I saw him a few times last year. Again, the only times I went to the so, you know, that stadium last year was for Jose Fernandez starts. I went to about three or four of them. Right. Uh, you know, that, and, you know, losing that guy, which brings me to the Yankees. If the Yankees lose Tanaka, they're already hanging on by a thread. But if they lost Tanaka, the season, you can get the season tomorrow. You know, they, they the, Yankees, the Yankees have similar problems to a lot of teams in the major leagues this year, Jay, uh, and Cam with the Tommy John surgeries and the arm injuries become a, you know, a super epidemic. Yankees uh-huh. lost a, a chunk of their rotation, and the chunk of their rotation wasn't good anymore. Sabathia is probably done, uh, especially since uh, you know he lost velocity and he's also kind of heavy, and now he has a uh, you know a knee problem, and it, it just it's, it's not going to go well. I, I, I don't think um, Yankees have a chance to make the playoffs because that division everybody has arm problems and everybody's about the same. Uh, I don't see any team in that division that has a top-flight rotation. So I, I think that I think the AL East is up for grabs. I think you have a bunch of teams that are almost all kind of equal, from Toronto to Baltimore to the Yankees to the Red Sox. And I think the Yankees have, a, you know, whatever percentage they have, just as much a chance of winning that division as anybody else at this point. So It's, I, it's funny you bring I'm up not. rotation, Josh. I, I, I was going to transition to Cam. But Cam jumped the gun on me and asked him about Detroit's rotation. Um, you know, you got uh, obviously Verlander, Scherzer, Verlander, Sanchez, Smiley, even is just good. You know, Porcello having a resurgence. Oh yeah, we're stacked uh, at the rotation. Yeah, yeah. Porcello is doing well, isn't he? Porcello is a homegrown guy who's from my neck of the woods. I think he went to Seton Hall and he's from Jersey. He's doing really well. Uh, I think he's, he's having a good year, but he, he, I think he's the weakest link on there. I, I, I think he's a, you know, I think he's a back end of the rotation starter. I know they kind of anticipated him being more of a front end, but uh, I know he's having a good start this, you know, to the season this year. But he's been traditionally a guy that's gotten hit pretty hard. Uh, the other pitchers, I think, are are, are all studs or potentially studs. They're, they have such a such a good, well balanced team from top to bottom. I mean, they traded. They traded Fielder for Kinsler, which was, even though Kinsler's a prick, it was a great trade because, uh, you know, by the time Fielder gets done with his contract, I mean, 
physically? Is he gonna is he gonna be even performing by the end of that contract? I mean, I I have no idea. But they, it, they it's certainly, funny you bring up Fielder. He just went on the he just went on the 15 day disabled list yesterday. I'm oh, pretty sure Fielder with a with a neck injury of some kind. So there you go. So you got a guy in Kinsler who can lead off with some power, get some base, he can steal some bases, and he'll be causing havoc on the base pass with guys like Cabrera and Martinez coming up. That's a that's a really good team, Cam. Yeah, I mean, it is, and uh, I saw... And, and you know, you know what? Uh, one more thing. Last year, Jim Leland was one stupid pitching change away from getting to the World Series. Leaving in a yeah. righty against Ortiz was the stupidest thing I've ever seen in baseball my entire life. Yeah, but we couldn't trust Bill Koch because he's probably the worst reliever in baseball, so... Yeah, I would have known Bill Koch. You know, very, very good he's a team. former Yankee. Uh, Nobody wants to trust those guys. No, exactly. Um... Well, yeah, um, Fielder, he had not missed a game in, I think it was, he had 554 consecutive games played uh, up until yeah. he, you know, just went on the DL. Uh, and, you know, I followed the uh, Estimation Tigers blog, and, you know, I interacted with them sometimes. And, you know, I saw them retweeting these tweets like, oh, yeah, I mean, we got out from under that massive contract literally in a nick of time. Um, you know, and it gives us the ability to, you know, bring in some other guys. We brought in Rajay Davis, who was in it. Uh, Oakland for a few years, you know, still have Austin Jackson, um, trying to kind of uh, have a rotation at shortstop since, you know, Jose Iglesias has double shin fractures, uh, stress fractures. He's probably going to be gone for the year uh, when we traded for him just to be that guy for us on defense. So that's been a little bit of a struggle. But overall, you know, we do have, uh, you know, a fairly strong team. And our top three in the rotation, Sanchez, Serger, and Berlander, of course, those, that one, that three, order. yeah. I mean, it's honestly, Smiley was a good long reliever, and he had been a collegiate and minor league starter. So we're putting him back at starting, and that gives us one left-handed starter so everybody can't just stack their left-handed lineups against us uh, for the entire year. And Porcello, he was drafted, you know, in the top ten rounds. He was expected to be a number two starter in the show. Uh, Obviously, he's shown himself to have a little bit lower talent than that because – he will pitch really well at stretches, even during games uh, and during seasons, but he will find the center of the strike zone way too yep. often, and then, you know, those balls get hit really hard and they go really far. But, well, he's, an, I mean, he's, a, he's, a, he's, he's a soft thrower, so he has to nibble at times, and nibbling gets you into trouble, and then you have to come down the middle. And then if you can't throw really, exactly. really hard, the, the chance of the guy fouling it off is, is decreases dramatically, and then you get hit. You know, right? And I mean, if you're if you're Tom Glavin or you're Greg Maddox, you know, two Hall of Famers, you can do that because their control is that pinpoint. But I mean, the kid is only 24, 25. He hasn't developed that kind of control. And like you're saying, you know, these, these major league hitters, they'll wait. They'll go to a two-two, a three-two count. I'll take a couple strikes because I know eventually you're going to try to nibble and you're going to miss your spot, and then I'm going to hit it 500 feet. Yep. I, I well, totally yeah. agree. I, I do. I do. I, I am happy about next year, though, because Scherzer will be pitching for the Yankees. So enjoy him while you got him. <laughs> well, yeah, he, yeah he's probably going to crack himself out of Detroit, unfortunately. So we got to get this first World Series ranked in '84 this year on the you know 30 year anniversary, and then you can have him. No, hey, that's a, that's a fair. Thing. Thing. We'll I'll put you guys off from the baseball conversation for one second to give an update to anybody that might be listening live, and I don't think there are many, but. Um, I just did a double take because uh, I looked up at the TV for a second and I saw the score was Indiana 100, Miami 84 in game one of the Eastern Conference Finals. Wow. Uh, uh, if yeah. if you would have told me a week ago that Indiana would have lasted more than five games against Miami had they made it that far, 
uh, I would have been shocked. So uh, that's a shocker well, in game one. Maybe. I, you know, I thought that if they got this far, it was going to be a six or seven game series just because this Indiana Pacers team is specifically built to compete with and defeat the Miami Heat. Uh, and I'm looking right now. George has 22. Hibbert has 19. Stevenson and West have 17. Hill has 13. And with many three-pointers, the first four guys all have seven boards. George Hill has three three-pointers. Um, Paul George has a few three-pointers. Um, and, I mean, that's five guys, all starters in double figures with more than 13 points. So, I mean, yeah, you know, it was easy to look earlier in the, in the postseason and say, okay, if they would have lost, yeah. But if they got here, they're built for this. Um, and everybody's been talking noise and everything, and they are grown men and they're professionals and they have pride. So, you know, they're going to play strong, and it is only the first game. And I think that they're shooting almost 60% from the field and the three-point line for the game. And I know that they were in the first half. I think Indiana shot 65% from the floor and 60% from three. If you do that, look, you're going to be competitive. So they're making shots for the first time consistently in the postseason. Um, other than, I think, what was that, the game three against uh, Washington when they blew them out by 30. Um, but, yeah, I mean, if they make shots, they're hard to beat, and they're doing that tonight. Um, so the Heat obviously have to go back and look at their rotation, um, both defensively on the court and then who plays uh, coming off of the bench, um, you know, and then just play strong in the next game and see what happens. Let me ask you a question, Cam. Uh, are, are, you a, are you a Heat fan? or I'm a Pistons fan, but I live down here, so I watch the Heat 82 nights a year. Okay, so let me ask you a question about LeBron. If they don't win this year, does he stay? Does he go? Oh, yes. Like, let me, like, here's the question, though, because, you know, Stevenson called out Wade's knee, which we all know is, you know, I don't know how much more time Dwayne Wade has left at, you know, the upper echelon, because not because he doesn't have the skill, but because, you know, he's played so hard for so long that his body's starting to break down a little bit. Right. I mean, if you're if you're LeBron, you're looking around, you're going to sign a long-term contract. There's no guarantee that they'll be able to get. I mean, I guess, you you know, through free agency, but how many years will Wade still be there? Maybe not as effective. And then you have Bosch, who's, you know, up and down. It seems like LeBron's doing just as much now as he had to do when he was in Cleveland, which was his major gripe. And I'm just wondering how that how it will affect him. Well, you know, I, I think that through this season, especially with Wade missing a third of the season to get his scattered – staggered rest. Um, I think LeBron has had to do a lot more um, than he had to do in the first three years uh, when he was here. Um, if he say, oh, he just hits this amazing four-point play thing, oh, my goodness, I'm sorry, I was watching the TV. Um, it, you know, I, I think it kind of depends on how far they go. If they're summarily dismissed in five games by the Pacers, I mean, it would be tough, but um, then I could potentially see maybe him, uh, LeBron looking to leave. Uh, but the other thing is you have to look at, okay, what kind of teams are ready-made uh, for him to go there? And if he wants to leave, is he going to leave to take a just another guy contract or is he going to leave to take a max LeBron contract? Because, I mean, he makes, you know, it's well chronicled, Joe Johnson makes the most by his contract to play basketball in the league. And he makes like $8 million more than LeBron does currently. But LeBron makes so much in endorsements and, and sales, yeah, uh, you know, salary and, doesn't really matter. it doesn't matter. So if he's trying to go somewhere to set a record um, for his contract, to get a contract that's 10, 12, 16, 22, 23, 25 million a year, or is it like, you know what, look, just let me hit seven, I'll go to a team like, let's say the Clippers. 
I, and I know that the Clippers have all this drama. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ignore all that. I'm going to go to a team with Chris Paul and Blake Griffin with a rim protector in DeAndre Jordan, and we have shooters like Jamal Crawford and J.J. Reddick. I'm going to go there. I'm going to take $5 million a year, and we're going to win. Is that something that is realistic? I don't think so. So, I, it, I don't know. This, the Miami Heat organization preaches family so much in their, in their or, you know, organizational structure. I find it hard to see him leaving. Hey, yeah, guys, let me, let me I mean, sit I, in for a second and ask a real serious question. And usually when I uh, start yeah, off, I say a real serious question. question. <laughs> <laughs> it's so, a bunch of crap. Yeah, we'll laugh at it. Go ahead. Journey, Johnny Manziel is uh, going to be in Cleveland, and because and he's good friends with LeBron. Uh, no. Yeah, no. Plays. no. Now, Cleveland, you know, Cleveland might have been a possibility, but they, they were too much of a dumpster fire. Like, if they would have had, like, a decent year where they played okay, he might have considered that, I think. that's what That was my theory. Like, uh, you remember, Jay, that was my theory before you ever heard it, Stephen A. Smith or Skip Bayless talk about it. I kept saying it way back that, you know, they have all this young talent. If I'm LeBron, I'm thinking – you know, I can erase that Cleveland nonsense. Maybe if I go back there for a short contract, I'll have all these young young stars on my team, but they, they fell apart. They're a dumpster. I would, you know, I, it I, would I just be the ultimate. It would be the Attention ultimate. story. Yeah. Yeah, the ultimate, uh, you know, boy goes home and makes good story. I, I, I don't, I agree with you, though. Kyrie Irving's a hell of a player. Um, they, they've got some other pieces on that roster. Uh, Varejo. You know, is a is a world class trash man when he's healthy. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think they need to at minimum. If Cleveland had made a run the way Washington did this year, then I think they're the LeBron. It, it would have been. I agree with you. Yeah, it would have been a possibility. I wholeheartedly disagree. I mean, there's there's no state income tax here in Florida. He lives on either downtown by Brickell or on South Beach. It's 82 degrees in January. You know, it's just. I, I mean, his foundation is here. The team. I just. I, I. I don't see like. I don't see anybody volunteering to go back to Cleveland. To Cleveland? No, I don't see even with. I mean, and how long are they going to be there? Kyrie Irving. He's going to go. Why? Because nobody likes Cleveland. Well, they liked Cleveland when LeBron was there. I think that's the point. Is that you well, know? No, 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 no. I'm, I'm talking. I'm talking player wise. He didn't select to go there. He was selected to be there. And that's a well. It wasn't even the first opportunity because he could have left before he signed his first extension. But at, at, the, well, at the first opportunity to get to unrestricted free agency, he left because that's what everybody does. No one stays in Cleveland. And well, who left? If you leave Cleveland, LeBron signed an extension. He didn't go after whatever. He, he, he signed oh, another he, contract. He gave them a chance to put together a, you know, a competitive team. Well, they put Antoine Jameson next to him, and he left. I don't blame him. I mean, you know. Well, and I mean, he would have been unrestricted. He would have been restricted free agent the first time, so he signed the extension, and then he unrestricted free agency, chucked the deuces, and left. But I, I would find it hard to believe, especially with this organization of the Miami Heat that is highly esteemed the way that they are. You hear all the players talk about it from the owner on down that he would leave the Heat and Miami and this culture and this state and all of this to go back to Cleveland. I just don't see it happening. Yeah, I, I, I kind of agree with you. I, I just I wonder if he wants to get if, – if it's possible. And I'm not saying, you know, Dwayne Wade, great player. You know, he'll yeah. be an NBA Hall of Famer, no, no doubt. But he's not right. that anymore. He's not, right. he's not elite anymore. Once in a while he has those flashes where he has a night where you're like, wow, if he did that every night, he'd be Dwayne Wade again. And I'm just wondering 
what his thoughts are being stuck potentially. I mean, you know, Pat Riley probably has a lot more, uh, you know, power to bring in free agents and, and move shit around and, and, and get the, get LeBron the pieces he needs than, than maybe Cleveland. But I, I just I just wonder if he wants to lock himself into a situation where he might be dealing with a, a Dwayne Wade on the decline and Chris Bosh, who I know he's had a decent uh, run as the Heat and he's been an unselfish player and he's really kind of fallen into that, that team role. His, his defense is suspect, but, you know, that's the NBA. And I just wonder if he's going to want to rope himself into that. I, I, no, I mean, and that's a fair point, but I'm on, on the counterpoint then, if he leaves, where would he go? Hey, you know, I mean, there's, there's obviously he could go to. Uh, you're, you're right. There's not that many great places. I mean, even like, let's say he went to the Knicks, which he wouldn't do, right? I, uh, the Knicks are are more of a dumpster fire than Cleveland. But like, if if he went to the Knicks, how much different would it be than what he has at the Heat at this point? I mean, if you put LeBron on any team in the NBA, they become the best team in the NBA. <laughs> Name a team that if you put LeBron on it right now, they're not the top, say, three team in the NBA. There's, it doesn't exist. They were a top right. three team in the NBA when he had nobody in Cleveland. Sometimes, you know, top two. So I, I, I don't think – I think you're right. If there's a family thing, if he loves Miami as much as it seems like he does, there's no reason for him to leave. I mean, this place is awesome, especially if you're him. I mean, how much better would it be to be LeBron James in Miami than anything else, right? But yeah. I, 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 I just wonder – I know he's more serious about basketball than he probably is about – the weather in January, because he knows that once he finishes playing basketball, he could live anywhere in the world he wants in any lifestyle he wants, you know? So I, I I think the guy wants to win. I think he had a taste for it. And I'm not sure he'll just, you know, he probably will. He'll probably re-up. He'll probably stay here for the rest of his career or, or till the end, and he'll go somewhere else on, like, a victory tour. But I, I, there's just a lingering thing where I'm like, wait, he, he kind of did this thing to Cleveland and – you know, he really wants to win, and if he's worried that he's not going to have the supporting cast. I mean, Jay, let me ask you a question. If, if before the Tanaka signed, the Yankees rotation completely fell apart like that, do you think that he definitely signs there? you think that who signs where? Uh, that, that, that's, if, that's if, if, if before game. he signed the contract, Nova and a few other guys blew out their arms, right? And Kuroda couldn't oh. do it, He could, and Sabathia got hurt. And he's the only starting pitcher going. I mean, he's literally their only established starting pitcher. Well, Corona, I guess, too. But do you, does he still go there? And that's what I'm wondering if LeBron's going to, at the end of the season, is going to look at it and say, you know, because of those weird tweets during the year, no matter what happens, we're still brothers, stuff like that. I, I just wonder if he's thinking, you know, I want to win. I want to win more than Jordan. And, and I want to do that. And, I'm not, you know, I have to make sure this is a place I can do that. And I think if anybody can convince him that, it is probably Pat Riley. So probably have nothing to worry about. But I like hearing Heat fans get scared. It's funny. Yeah, I mean, yeah. To get back to your question, though, I think that I think the Tanaka thing was just it's apples and oranges. Uh, I think Tanaka wanted to play in a major market. He's got a wife who's you know into acting. He's coming from another country. He wants to the similar. Yeah, that's the best best example. But I think, you know, on that kind of vein, what I'm thinking is, you know, do you go somewhere if you think the future prospects? Do you stay somewhere where the future prospects may not live up to the reality that you want to create, which is like, what, six, seven more championships I think the guy probably wants? Yeah, I, you know. So 
that's all I'm wondering. I, I, think, I, think, I think where your argument holds the most weight, Josh, is, is him coming to Miami in the first place was done on the premise that he, he wanted to compete for championships. So what you're saying that makes a lot of sense is that if Miami is no longer a place where he feels he can win championships, there's a better opportunity somewhere than, yes, I absolutely think he could leave to go there, um, you know, as long as it wasn't perhaps Cleveland <laughs> or something like that. I mean, I hope he stays personally. I'm not a Heat fan, but he's great for this city. I mean, I live here. I live, literally, I can walk to that arena in 10 minutes. I, I live right down here. And, uh, you know, it's great that he's here, for, for the, even for the economy, I mean, for everything. But, uh, you know, I just wonder, you know, when he's going to, you know, if he's going to look at that. Because, uh, look, Dwayne Wade, great player. I've said it like five times already. But guys get old, right? I mean, yeah. Derek Jeter is not Derek Jeter anymore. You know, he's he's a, a shell of what he was when he was, uh, you know, a superstar. So I just wonder if in basketball it's much more important that, you know, I have five guys on the court at the same time. You need them to produce. If Wade plays every other game, LeBron's got to really – I mean, he's really got to do a lot on that team. They don't have, like – they don't have that much, I think. I mean, it's just – I don't know what you think about yeah, that. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I when I watch the Heat play, uh, you know, Ray Allen's getting a little bit older. I'm impressed with Norris Cole. I think they're getting about as much mileage out of Birdman as you could possibly hope. Uh, you know, Haslam's on the way down. You know, Weed is obviously, you know, constantly battling injuries. I, I think to your point and to, to what Cam said as well, that LeBron is shouldering more of the load than he has since he's come to the Heat. Um, I, you know, Cam mentioned the Clippers. You know, we've talked about Cleveland. You mentioned the Knicks. I, you know, I, I think he ends up staying in Miami just because there aren't that many good opportunities out there. I, I, there I agree. Many... I, I, but but again, every opportunity, every place he goes becomes like the best team in the NBA and the favorite to win a championship, except maybe like a handful of teams. What if he went to Washington? I mean, they'd be they'd win the championship next year in a heartbeat. You know, so I I just I just wonder. You know, what's it going to be? Is he going to go for the loyalty thing? He loves it down here. Or is he going to stick to his, you know, I'm just here to win. I want to set records. I want to I want to be on top of Jordan in the record books and on top of Kobe. And if he if he's, if he's planning on doing that, that's all I'm saying is he has to really think about it because there's no guarantee that you're going to be able to get the kind of players that are going to be like a younger Dwayne Wade or a Chris Bosh at his best coming in after these guys are finished or, or – producing less you know the Greg Oden experiment if that worked out I'm, I'm, he stays 100% but that guy is really never going to be functional again so yeah. sorry I don't uh, mean to so, all the heat. so we, we, we've gone off on quite a tangent and, and I want to stay on the topic of the heat though because I know a lot of our fan base are heat fans uh, let, let's just let's just jump right to it uh, they just lost you guys by the are, way. I, I know, and that, that was going to be my next point. Now that they're down 0-1, uh, I'm going to start with Cam first. What's your prediction for this series? Uh, does the Heat come back and win six, seven games? Does Indiana have a legitimate shot to, to knock them off their perch and prevent the three-peat? Cam, what do you think? Um, you know, again, I do believe that the Pacers have a legitimate chance because for the last three or four years, this team has been constructed to be the one that can beat the Heat. Um, so they do have a chance. 
before the series and even maintaining today, I still say Heat in six. Um, just because I believe, that, I mean, today's shooting, you know, was pretty uh, anomalous through the beginning of the game. And then, you know, uh, the Pacers hunkered down and they found a way to maintain their lead. But they built their lead on some fantastic, amazing shooting. And you're not going to be able to do that every night. Um, and I just really think that, you know, if oh, Spolster tried to do a couple different things today. Um, he went with um, Shane Batty is still the start. He played Udonis Haslam some minutes, but he only got 10 minutes today um, in the game. And just his combinations on the floor and his rotations off the bench were slightly different, excuse me, different than they have been. Um, and I just don't, I mean, the Pacers are good. They're going to get a couple of games. I just don't see them winning yet. Um, and I'm just going to pretend that I'm from Missouri. And if they say that they can beat the Heat, then show me, and I'll believe it. But until then, I still say Heat and six, which means they're going to win four out of the next five games. I know that that is a, probably a, a, a large task to do uh, and say, but, you know, I, I said it before the series, and I'm not going to change my mind, so I'm going to stick with it. Josh, how about you? Same question. Yeah, basically five or six games. I think the Heat will get it together and – Something bad will happen in the Pacers' locker room, and Roy Hibbert will start crying. I don't, I don't Something, you know, that team is so totally fragile that all that has to happen is one bad thing, and the whole thing gets derailed. And they had a nice game today. They won. But, you know, looking at what how they've imploded over the past, and, and you could say, yeah, the playoffs are a new – every series is a new series, a new beginning. But, you know, they, they – they had some serious problems, and I, I don't think that they'll be able to rectify all those. And I think LeBron will just say, you know, screw it, I'll do it all myself in one of these games, and we'll score like 55. You know, so. I, I'm going to say and, that the Heat win as well, but I, I think it's going to go seven games, and I'll tell you why. I, I, I think the Pacers are that type of team uh, that are they're a very veteran team. They're very reminiscent of some of the Knicks teams of the 90s not quite good enough to beat the Jordan Bulls, not quite good enough to beat the LeBron Heat in this case, but good enough to give them a fight because they play better when they're angry and dislike their opponent. I still can't see them being the Heat because, like you said, I think LeBron takes over when he needs to to screw it. And, I mean, he kind of did that in that in – that, I'm not sure if it was the clincher or the, or the game five or game four where he just went for, like, Boy, 55 yeah. and – yeah, he got pissed at Paul Pierce, and he just went nuts. 49, yeah. Yeah, he went, he went crazy. However many points he scored, I mean, he, he dominated that game, and, and it didn't matter. Really, there was no chance. The, the, the Nets kept it close, but there was no chance that they were going to beat him because he's the best player in the world, and he decided that, you know, this is it. He did that a couple of years back against the Celtics when the Celtics were up 3-2, you know, and they, they still had Garnett and Pierce, and they were still formidable. They're three two and in an elimination game, LeBron just said no. And I mean he's that type of player. I I don't think he does it enough, to be honest with you. I think he can do it all the time if he wanted to, but he, he has an unselfish nature. So I'm gonna go I'm gonna go heat and seven. I think the Pacers will do enough to keep it close. Okay. Oh, uh Cam, one more thing. You mentioned before, just to rewind a little bit, we were talking about fielder. And you mentioned about his like early early career durability, um, you know, because he he played in a bunch of games in a row. I guess I guess you know maybe it's unfair, but the the image that conjures in my mind when I think about Prince Fielder long term is Mo Vaughn. 
That's just that's just it's not Big Poppy. It's more Mo Vaughn. And I hope I'm wrong because I think that guy is a pretty you know talented hitter and a good a fun player to watch. So I hope he, you know, I hope he doesn't fall apart. Right. I mean, and I hope that you know he doesn't um, have that kind of a thing. But the thing with Mo Vaughn was really the external injury when he went for that foul ball in the dugout without the railing in Anaheim after he left Boston to sign that huge contract, and then he had the um, fracture of the ankle, and then that jacked up his whole time with his swing and everything um, like that. So that was, uh, you know, an extremity. And obviously, if you don't have your base in baseball, no matter which position you're playing, if you're, if you're you know, feet and ankles, and, you know, I think he had a broken fibula from that. Uh, if everything well, isn't healthy, you know, can't be. Here's, here's a funny bit of information, actually. I, I actually <laughs> I actually know someone from, from my schooling that, was married to Will Cordero, who was good friends with Mo Vaughn, and Mo Vaughn lives down here, or at least did a few years back. And his Cordero's ex-wife was telling me that uh, Mo Vaughn used to sit around and laugh about how much money he stole from the Mets. <laughs> so I, and then I ran, I ran, in, I ran into Mo Vaughn because I used to, I used to work as an editor for a magazine down here, and there was an opening of a like this luxury gym in downtown Miami or in the design district area. And I had to cover it and meet the people there, hopefully to get an advertisement, which didn't happen. And and Mo Vaughn walks in literally the day the steroid report was released with his name on it. And I was thinking to myself at the time, wouldn't this guy just want to stay inside for a couple of days and you know, maybe maybe not make public appearances? So I thought that was that was kind of funny. And I got to beat him. And well, you know, he wasn't in the game of baseball anymore, so it kind of was – inconsequential that his name was on the report. Like, yeah, I may or may not have done steroids then, but, you know, I'm endorsing this gym now, so whatever. Yeah, it was just funny, though. It was kind of like yeah. you just didn't expect him to, to come out there. He's a big dude, by the way. Giant. Yeah. All right, guys, we've covered a lot of ground on, on this show, and, and I'd like to leave on a good note. We all think the Heat are going to win, so <laughs> that's about as good as it gets for, for the Miami area. Um. I'm sure our fans that are, are going to be listening on this show are going to be a little depressed to start out with anyway after the Heat lose. So, a uh, great show. Um, for the folks that have listened all the way through, thank you for Julian Gamble, Gary Adams, and, of course, uh, John Mooger, the founder of CBT. I thank you guys very much for coming on. Uh, Cam and Josh, great job as always. Um, and uh, we look forward to having future episodes. You guys want to add anything before I close it out? Um, yeah, you have uh, spring football. You have a lot of uh, spring football games down here in South Florida, so those guys who are uh, hardcore recruiting fans maybe look up on uh, Sun Sentinel, Herald, or, you know, uh, any of the other blog websites and see maybe you can get out to see a couple guys. Uh, and the Al Golden football camps will be starting in two weeks. So I know that we just did get our 11th commit, uh, but a lot of people are still kind of dissatisfied with the 2015 class. Uh, but it's really going to start picking up when the Alabama football caps come because, again, any pre-offers right now, are we likely enough to come to camp and get a real offer um, that you can commit to? So a lot of those are going to start going out, and a lot of these big names that we're after are going to start committing places, hopefully Miami. So uh, if that's your kind of thing, if you're a recruitment like me, look forward to that starting up in the next two weeks, and it'll be great. All right, thanks, Cam. We'll definitely will look forward to that. Recruiting season never really ends, does it? Never. All right. Josh, anything you want to add before we call the night? No, I'm good, dude. All right. Cam and Josh, great having you guys. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, man, great time. See you guys.
All right, later.